Welcome to 5000 to 1, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner. Joining me as ever is my co-host, City legend, club captain, Matt Elliott. Matt, how are you doing? I'm okay, Robert. Thank you. Um, pleased to speak to you, to hear a different voice. <laughs> it's getting to that stage. The weather has turned, which has uh, you know, made things a little bit more difficult again, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, I'm sort of itching and twitching a little bit around the house these days and um it's nice to speak to you not that it isn't always don't it's always a pleasure sir and uh hopefully that feeling's reciprocated have you been filling the void by watching lots of retro football on the telly because there seems to be all sorts going on at the moment retro world cup shows and games from the 80s and stuff like that i bet you've been involved in a few of the games that have been shown over the last few weeks Oh, not in the World Cup, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I got to a World you Cup. You were in a World f- Cup. Yeah, never got on the field of play, not when it mattered anyway. But uh, that's another story. But uh, no, I haven't watched a lot really. I've, it's like my brain has sort of switched off on the fact that there well, there are no live games, etc. I've, I've seen a few adverts flash up from games from the past. There was one about Coventry Tottenham 1987 FA Cup final. I remember watching that as a kid, um, and I wouldn't mind having a little look at that, a little flashback, and so I might occupy myself with it soon. But uh, so far, I've been going into documentaries and stuff more of really, and reading up on and watching up on uh, historical issues. Have you get intellectual, Matt? No, I wouldn't go that far. It's been predominantly war-based, really. Oh right, you know Vietnam and World War Two in colour, etc. World War One and you know, documentaries that they're on the front line. Unbelievable, unbelievable. What actually, goes on is, you know, it's, it's really, really interesting to see what these people actually do. But um, well, this SAS bit... shows on now, isn't it? With Fash the Bash on, which fancy going on that? <laughs> yeah, um, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But fair play to the people who are on it. I've seen Jordan's on it as well, isn't she? And um... well, briefly. Oh, is she gone already? Yeah, yeah. Is she? Oh, no, no real surprise there, but. I imagine Fash the Bash would be the top contender out of any bunch of celebrities. He's them all up. He's Is he? Yeah. Bag. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Sounds quite entertaining. I'll have to have a little look at that, Rob. Yeah. Anyway, last time we uh, we spoke, we were hoping to have some football news or some, some positive news about football returning to discuss. Um, but events of the last couple of days have uh, cast it all in doubt. I mean, from my information, I understand Leicester City were planning to get back to some sort of training, uh, whether that be staggered with players coming in at different times, on May the 18th, with a possible start of the season going into June. But um, that looks like it, uh, it's not going to happen now. After the news coming out of France yesterday that they've finished their league and the uh, Chief Medical Officer of UEFA uh, urging all leagues to cancel their leagues until September, it's... Uh, it's not looking good, Matt, for a return. It's certainly not for a conclusion of the season we've just been enjoying. Looks ominous, to be fair, doesn't it? And I have to say, I'm, I'm not that surprised. I mean, three or four weeks back, there, there were rumours and uh, you know, semi-statements, if you like, that the, the football lads would be going back to training in and around May the 16th, as you've just said there, and you know, with a provision or an intention that games would recommence early to mid-June. To me, at that time, you thought, yeah, possible if, if things subside. But as, as the days and weeks have ticked by, all of a sudden that, that seems, you know, a, an unfeasible target really, doesn't it? it? It seems to tick by and tick round too soon. And I, I can't really see it happening. And 
Obviously, that's compounded by the fact that certain leagues, the Eredivisie and the, the, the League, League 1, sorry, um, you know, have effectively been cancelled. We'll have to see how they declare um, the situation in terms of league positioning. But, uh, you know, they, they've been taken off the agenda, off the schedule, and you feel that other countries are going to follow suit, really, don't you? And I don't know, Premier League will probably be more resistant um, to null and voiding the season than any other country, but I don't know, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, Rob. And, uh, you know, you look at all the intricacies of it and all the problems and the details of of playing games behind closed doors and training camps, etc., that were mentioned... Oh, it's a massive operation and, you know, is football important enough, first and foremost, or is it, you know, does it warrant that massive operation um, when the, there are more important things to be considered? Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it does open up a can of worms, though, doesn't it, about how they're going to sort this mess out in terms of what happens going on forwards into next season and qualification for the Champions League and the Europa League. Was obviously, at the moment, if there was a scenario where they said, right, OK, we'll finalise the table, uh, depending on what it was like at halfway or whether we do a points average or... I mean, whatever scenario they come up with, it's going to cause a problem for somebody and there's going to be uh, certainly lay themselves open to some sort of um, legal action, I would imagine, uh, for those who have missed out. But in every scenario I've seen so far, except for null and void in the whole season and pretending it never existed, um, Leicester City would still qualify for the Champions League and I think they would deserve to be there. But if they decide to just cancel the, the, the league and pretend it never happened, then obviously it's back to the drawing board for Brendan and his boys. Yeah, that, that does seem... A touch unfair, doesn't it? And you know, and, you know that seems a shame, really, and it seems a bit bizarre. to get as deep as they have into the campaign, I think the teams that have done what they've done up to this point deserve some sort of reward. Really, I think you know it's going to be harsh on on some. Of course, it is. However, it's decided. I mean, personally, the, you look at it. I think the, the points per game really, is probably the best of a bad lot of solutions. Whatever we do now, there's going to be complaints, isn't there? Some people are going to feel hard done fire or it, it's not befitting of you know, a competition of this stature um, in some people's eyes, etc. There will be arguments we haven't even thought about that will arise. But uh, I, I think the efforts that people have put in does it deserve to be recognised? You know, up to that point, and if it's not able to be finished, so be it. And uh, I mean, I suppose the, the most difficult scenarios is, you know, the likes of Aston Villa who played a game less, but that's where the points per game average takes that out of the equation. Yeah, I, and obviously we still have the issue as well of promotion from the Championship to sort out. Yeah, but again, get... again, there, Rob, I think it's harsh, but I think it's the fairest way. I think it's the fairest way. And Leicester have got a tough running at the end, end of the season. If you had that scenario in a relegation situation, you know, you may be not picking up many points, but I don't know. It's never. It's not going to be a perfect perfect ending, is it? But, uh, you know, I think you've Absolutely. got to make the best of a bad job, that's all. I mean, I'm sure the sides that would uh, go down or potentially go down, if they do go with relegation, good point to Leicester City in 2014-15, uh, who won seven of the last nine games, which is what we've got to go in this campaign. 
to survive when they look dead and buried. So anything's possible, but they've got to come up with some sort of solution if that is going to be the case. I would imagine, though, they will still try, if they can, to hold on for a while before they make that decision uh, and see how it goes in Germany where they have tried to come back and ease some of the lockdown. And the players have been in training for a while now and they were planning to get their season up and running again next month. But they've had another little spike of the uh, infections and uh, I think everybody would be looking at Germany now. Do you think there's been a lack of leadership from UEFA in all this, uh, Matt? Because it does appear to me that there's been, I know we were all in the dark in, to some extent, but there hasn't been sort of any sort of universal sort of decision making or it's, it's all been left to the individual associations to assess their own. I mean, Belgium were the first ones to, to say that's it, we're all done and dusted and that was weeks ago. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of direction from UEFA in this. It's a difficult one, though, Rob, isn't it? I think you know, ordinarily you look to the main governing body, don't you? you know, FIFA, UEFA, to give out a, a directive. But as we've seen you know, politically, the, the governments in each individual country have reacted in different manners. So yeah, each, each individual case, in this case, league, uh, has got different things to consider, I suppose, because you know, the country has, has certain rules you know, imp implemented as part of their interpretation of the lockdown, and it's, it's having a, a different effect, Italy to, to Norway, for instance. But um, as usual, they, they seem to have sort of kept out of things as, as best they can and, and leave it to others, unless there's something advantageous for them, which in this case, there are very few advantages. So I think that they've probably been best served keeping out of it. I mean, because they can't give an all-encompassing directive, can they? No, not at all. Well, we'll wait and see what happens with that. But you mentioned there about it's a shame if uh, efforts aren't recognised this season in terms of teams. But um, efforts of individual players certainly have been recognised. We've come into awards season. And the Athletic has had their own awards. I mean, obviously, it was in the awards ceremony that we had planned. We had to do it online and virtual. Uh, but um, some interesting stuff, really. I mean, all the writers um, uh, nominated uh, individuals for all the categories. And there was a few Leicester City nominations in there, Matt. I don't think any of them yeah. really won any of the awards, but um, some interesting ones. I mean, in terms of the Young Player of the Year category, uh, there's a number of Leicester City players that could have been included in this one, but um, it was just James Madison from Leicester that was involved uh, with Tammy Abraham, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jack Grealish and Marcus Rashford, um, which was um, quite interesting. But it was uh, no surprise, really. It was Trent Alexander-Arnold that uh, that came out on top on that one. I mean, that was going to be uh, a pretty obvious one, did you think? Because he's had such an outstanding season, but nice recognition for Madison. Is this from the, the journalists of The Athletic, Rob, yeah? Yes. All the writers, yeah. So... Yeah, it's quite uh, an esteemed award, isn't it? Because you know you back the journalists that are involved on it, and um, I think yeah, I suppose Alexander Arnold. Uh, I wouldn't go against that. Uh, you see, instantly you think of Liverpool players, don't you? I suppose, and then you think, right, who's young at Liverpool? He's the man, isn't he? Um, they've got a number of, of top class, even younger players coming through. But uh, Alexander Arnold, yeah. You know he's a real talent, isn't he? When you when you watch him, I remember I bumped into Jan Mulby up at the uh, not dropping names in here, Rob. You know, but me and Jan we we get on quite well and all that. <laughs> he's a great lad, as it happens. Actually, he used to be an idol of mine when I was younger. Not that he's that much older, but um, 
watching him play, what a player he was for those of you that remember. And I was speaking to Jan up at Anfield and he said to me, he said, Alexander, oh, no, we were talking about all aspects of Liverpool, etc. And it was when Leicester went up there and conceded the penalty in the last minute. But he said, uh, never mind Mane and you know, Salah and all, all the front three players that, you know, get all the headlines. He said, Alexander Arnold, he said, every week. He said, I watch him and I end up, you know, he wows me every week. And, that, and that's Jan Mulby, an exceptional player. And, you know, for he, he was so infused talking about him. I thought, right, I need really need to keep an eye on, on watching properly. And I did, and he didn't let me down. He's, he, he, he's got something extra than other fullbacks, you know, certainly in this country. When you look at him, he, he's, he's a proper talent. And he just sort of tidy up his defensive aspect of his game, a touch maybe, but let's not be negative. He, he's well deserving of a Young Player of the Year award at very least. Absolutely, and and another right back that uh, has been outstanding this season, Leicester City's own Ricardo Pereira, who was included in the shortlist for the underrated player of the year. Now, initially there was a, a six-man shortlist for this, and there was three Leicester City players. I don't know what that says really, but there was three Leicester City players in the in the shortlist of six, and the uh, the other two were Harvey Barnes and Wilfred Ndidi. Um, I mean, I would certainly say that Wilfred Ndidi wasn't underrated at Leicester City, but perhaps perhaps he isn't getting the uh, the kudos he, he deserves elsewhere. But um, yeah, interesting because they were in there with uh, Danny Ings, Fred and Raul Jimenez. And it was Danny Ings that won the award. Um, Ricardo Pereira did get an um, acknowledgement as well. I think he finished third. So the uh, same as James Madison is in the previous category. Underrated players. It's an interesting category, that, isn't it? An interesting one, as you say, like Fred popping in there has surprised <laughs> me a little bit. He's getting his recognition. Fair play to him for turning it round. But yeah, to have three players, that sort of like Leicester City, as you say there, you know, Pereira, uh, Barnes and, and Didi, I suppose that encapsulates how Leicester are looked upon, even by the national media. <laughs> you know, even at, at, in these days when they've won the Premier League, had a couple of years where it subsided and now this year they were right back in the running for a short time and certainly for a Champions League spot, you know, they've been permanent fixtures and, it, and the players within that team, that squad, it's deemed that they're sort of overachieving, I think, isn't it, a little bit. Oh, they're doing well for now, but it won't last sort of thing. It's, it's the theme, not just with the team itself, but the players a little bit and... I think they've they've proven their longevity sufficiently enough to be considered higher than they are, really. Certainly Ricardo. I mean, you know, he's a fully fledged Portuguese international, though he's only just broken through as a regular in the team. But he's uh, then obviously suffered the injury. But people who watch him week in, week out, he, he's up there. And I think he's starting to get the recognition really to be, you know, one of the top three fullbacks in the Premier League. And Harvey Barnes will get that. I don't think he's underrated at the moment, though, really, too much. I think it's just the fact that he's breaking through, isn't he? But Wilfred is the one, I suppose. Um, you know, he just gets on with his business, doesn't he? He goes under the radar a little bit, but people who watch him week in, week out know that he's the he's the platform that gives all the other players in front of him the opportunity to go and express themselves. He's, and he's, he's, you forget, oh, what is he, 22, Wilfred is... He's a real force. Yeah. He's a real force, isn't he? You know, he was six foot two, but his limbs are long and rangy, aren't they? And he's very 
wiry in, in his physique and he's quite intimidating. He's athletic, he's powerful, he reads the game well. In my view, he's, he's one of the top three in his position in the league. I mean, you look at Fabinho at Liverpool. After that, I've, I'm thinking Wilfred and Didi myself, but yeah, yeah, for some reason, and, and the potential to get even get better. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's the perception that they don't get their, they won't get their recognition until they move to uh, a bigger club, which is a bit unfair in Leicester City. But there always seems to be that that perception. Except for there is one exception to that, and that's Jamie Vardy, who was nominated yeah. in the Men's Player of the Year award, along with Virgil Van Dijk, Sadio Mane, Jordan Henderson, Kevin De Bruyne. Trent Alexander-Arnold as well in that one. Um, so there, there was recognition for Vardy. I mean, he's had such a fantastic season, hasn't he? Uh, 19 goals and uh, it's been... Uh, I mean, he's, he's still two goals ahead in, in the race for the Golden Boot, if that ever gets decided, as we've just mentioned. But uh, another cracking season yeah. from Vardy. deserved that nomination. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, if the season is null and void... Jamie Vardy will definitely be claiming that golden boot, for that's for sure. Rightly so as well. But, um, yeah, I was just thinking of that, the, the way that Leicester players are perceived. and But Jamie Vardy's butt the trend, doesn't he? Because you, you can't, you just cannot ignore him or force him out of the picture. He's done it over a long period of time, repeatedly. And, you know, he's always up there, isn't he, in, in the top rankings in terms of goal scoring. And uh, this year... He's, you know, well, he's he's above the rest, isn't he? And um, yeah, the little injury period, a little barren period, still maintains his position at the top of the goal scoring charts. What a performance! What a performance! Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's unbelievable stuff, isn't it? So before I tell you who won the uh, overall men's player of the year, who do you th- who would you have picked? Who has been your standout individual this season? Yeah, all right, okay. I'm th- again. Automatically, I'm thinking Liverpool player because they've been so far ahead of everyone, haven't they? Uh, let's have a think. I, me personally, I, I love Van Dyke. I love Van Dyke. He's a, he's a dream of a centre half, isn't he? And what a player! But I would say, in terms of, I mean, it's been a collective with Liverpool, hasn't it? Mane, Mane gets gets the the nod. I suppose. I think he's probably been the most spectacular. And consistent out of that front three. Although what a three to choose from. Probably go for Mane on top of everyone. Um, players outside of Liverpool. They've been so dominant, haven't they, Liverpool? Really? Yeah, exactly. It's because of that, on top of obviously the, the performance levels of the individuals. It's been a collective as well, though, isn't it? Because you look throughout the team. They're probably, sort of, in a weird way, individuals got more recognition last year. I don't know, but you, they, they hit the heights last year, didn't they? Winning the Champions League and you know, got so much praise and adulation. And this year they've continued, but it's just been... its it, I don't know, it, it seems like more of a team effort. They've become an even better side. Maybe other individuals have, have raised their standards as well. and It's more of an even keel to the performances. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you the winner was. It was Kevin De Bruyne. Did that surprise you? Hmm... De Bruyne, well, yeah, listen, I'd never go against him. As most people are, I'm a huge admirer of his abilities. I just think this year, I don't know, has he been that spectacular you know, to warrant getting it above Mane or, or one or two other Liverpool players? Henderson has been Mr. Consistency, hasn't he? Or he you know, well, he's raised his game to another level. 
De Bruyne. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think he probably deserves a shout in the top three. I wouldn't have him winning it, if I'm honest. Well, he made the, no surprise, he made the uh, team of the year. Uh, and there was, I think it was seven Liverpool players, but in that side, no surprise there. Um, but two yeah, Leicester players that made about it. right. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if this was the um, the back four and the goalkeeper. So there was Alisson in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Andrew Robertson and Virgil van Dijk in the back three with Charles Siunsu. Aha! Vardy was in there in a front three of Sadio Mane, Mo Salah and midfielders Henderson, Grealish and De Bruyne. So two Leicester City players made it into the team of the year. Bit of recognition and, and nice to see Siunsu getting uh, a little bit of recognition there for his breakthrough season in many ways. You've been impressed with this young lad, haven't you? I have, and surprised, if I'm honest, Rob. Yeah, and we've spoken about it before. I saw him previously and in a couple of 123 games, and um, one in particular against Chelsea. He was up against Hudson Adoy, it has to be said, um, and he had a very difficult time. Um, down at Aldershot, it was, and uh, I thought, he, he looks nowhere near ready. He was rash and over-eager, and yeah. His positioning was left a lot to be de- desired. But um, you could see he had that raw ability. You see the pace and the power he had and the willingness to play on the ball. But it, it, it all didn't come together in the way it was meant to on this particular occasion. So I had fears about his ability to step in to the fray when Maguire left. But he's proved me wrong, that's for sure. You know, he, he's he's adapted and he's adapted so quickly and so well. And I think at times it's a little bit more... In the early early parts of um, the season, I think he got away with a few things. It was more by luck than design that he got himself out of situations. But in fairness to him, he, he, he's learnt alongside the ideal partner. You know, Johnny Evans there, who's, who's guided him through, as has, I'm sure, Brendan Rodgers. Um, but... You know, at the end of the day, you have to take it on board yourself. And Sancho's who's done that, he's been magnificent. He's developed into a, you know, a fearsome opponent. I agree with you. He's he's learnt from his mistakes. He was very rash, and I think Brendan said himself in one of the early press conferences in the season that um, the one thing he needed to cut out was that one mistake a game that was going to cost him. And I remember at Fulham, um, season before. And uh, he had a pretty decent game throughout the game, but then he just dived in rashly, lost his man, and they got through and 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 scored. And uh, he seemed to want to try and win the ball every single time instead of just standing his ground and holding people up and shepherding people. But this season, he seems to have eradicated that. Now he's a little bit more patient, isn't he? But and he's wonderful to watch on the ball, isn't he? With his little Cruyff turns every now and then, his little step overs and stuff like that. I mean, imagine Martin O'Neill be going crazy if he was his manager <laughs> uh, watching that. Um, so I don't think you guys were encouraged to do that too often, were you? Not too often. Every now and then, he would let you off the leash. I mean, myself, I used to like a little twist and a turn occasionally in defensive areas. And Martin and Neil just, Maddie, you give me the heebie-jeebies, son. Cut that <laughs> out, will you? Just get it and hit it. <laughs> it was like, okay, Gaffer, okay, Gaffer. But as long as you got away with it, it was okay. It was one of those. But when you get caught, obviously, you look the fool. Um, thankfully, it didn't happen too often. And that's been the case with Sancho. He's, as I say, uh, on, on a few occasions, I thought he sort of dug himself into a hole and I thought, uh-oh, what's going to happen here? But he, he, he's flipped or he's tricked or he's twisted his way out of it on a number of occasions. And you think, you know what, f- fair play. Um, you know, he's, he's had some lovely moments back there, hasn't he? Uh, but which were 
you know, out of the norm and they get a big cheer from the supporters and people want to see something a little bit different, want to be entertained. And he does that. But, you know, most important aspect is defending has improved beyond recognition. Like you say, he was over-eager, wasn't he? He wanted to go and challenge for everything, crash through people, stick a leg out, you know, rather than be disciplined and patient. And it, it was costing at times, you know. Uh, Man United away was an example, really. It, it wasn't the world's worst foul, um, but it was early in the game and it ended up you know, dictating the course of the game and, and, and being the winner when they conceded that penalty unnecessarily. Um, there was no immediate danger. Don't make the challenge. Just little things like that. Um, but he, he, he's come on. He's come on leaps and bounds in such a short space of time and he's, like I say, he's a fearsome opponent. Uh, you could go up against him like Wilfred and Dealey. He's intimidating. I, the, the game in particular I, I enjoyed watching Sancho was against Crystal Palace. Ayu, Jordan Ayu, was, was trying to um, take the ball round him. He was trying to beat him in 1v1 situations and he was knocking the ball round the corner trying to chase it. And Sancho was there like seconds before and just breezing past Ayu and so. Not today, mate, not today. And IU uh, packed up, I think, in the end, got taken off. And, you know, uh, um, so had done his job. And he's doing that regularly. He's doing that regularly against the centre forwards. And they're realising what, what an excellent defender. They're a great partnership, aren't they? So you and, uh, and Evans together. Well, what about so you for the young player? How old is he? Was he 22, 23? Yeah, he think? would have been a contender. He would have been considered, I imagine. But uh, only yeah, Madison made that so. short list. But. He was certainly considered when I drew up my own personal Leicester City Young Player of the Year, but I couldn't look much further than the man that we've already previously discussed, Wilfred Ndidi, for that. Um, yeah. I picked him as, as Leicester City's Young Player of the Year. Would you agree with that, Matt? Well, the good thing is, from Leicester City point of view, in each category, they're, in terms of Leicester City-based, if you're going there's so many to choose from, aren't there? Oh, you know? yeah. The young player, we've said, on even on a national level or, or whatever, or an underrated level, um, category, sorry. Leicester City's players spring to mind. I mean, Madison got a nominated. Everybody got signed you and Didi, Barnes there, and you know, top quality players, haven't you? And like you say, signed you in the team. Johnny Evans, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I, did, I don't know. Sionchu yeah, and Evans could have been rivaling each other, <laughs> bizarrely <laughs> enough, for that slot alongside Van Dyke, couldn't they? But, um, you yeah, know, quality players throughout. Jamie Vardy, of course. Um, and, you know, you've got other, other players there, Perez and Tillemans. OK, they haven't quite hit the heights, but the capability is there, isn't it? Smichael in goal, one of the top goalkeepers. Chilwell's been a bit below what people expect of him, but he's a, a regular current England international. There's quality throughout Leicester's setup, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the player of the year that I chose, I mean, I could have easily picked Vardy, um, and I'm sure he will clean up on other awards, but I wanted to give recognition to another consistent performer, a man that I don't think I've seen have a bad game this season. That was Johnny Evans. Um, and I've written a piece on the Athletic website about Johnny Evans and why he's my player of the year for Leicester City this season. Um, he's just so consistent, so calm, so assured. I mean, I think the, the reason Sunsu's performed so well this season is because he's playing alongside Johnny and he's learning from Johnny. And uh, he just seems to be getting better and better. I and mean, he's in his early 30s now, but he just seems to be in the prime of his career. Yes, yeah, bizarre, isn't it, really? You know, how well he's performed because... 
I mean, Jerry Taggart always used to go on about his, his fellow compatriot. Um, you know what a player Johnny Evans is, and while while I you know, I rated him, I, I thought he was a very capable centre half. I didn't think he was quite at the level that Jerry was expressing. But uh, again, he, he certainly proved me wrong. I th- I thought it was a very astute acquisition when he first came to the club, but quite how much um, <laughs> I, I didn't realise. That's for sure because he's, you know, like you say, he's not goes under the radar, but he, he just does everything so effortlessly. It's, you know, his experience shows he does it in a understated manner, but it's very effective and he's the ideal partner for Soyuncu. You know, they're almost like chalk and cheese, aren't they? And they, they rub off on each other, they complement each other. And it, you know, he's got that respect from his teammates for what he's achieved earlier in his career. You know, anyone who's been at Man United for that length of time will pick up good traits, good habits and pass them on. And Johnny Evans has certainly done that. And uh, on top of that, you know, a real nice fella as well. Easy going, but determined character as well. He's been you know, a wonderful, wonderful uh, addition. Uh, to, to Leicester City and uh, yeah, fans' favourite as well. And uh, I, I wouldn't go against your, your opinion there, Rob. Yeah, Jamie Vardy, he's got, he's had, and he will have enough accolades. That Johnny Evans is a key figure as anyone this this campaign. Talking about great defensive partnerships, um, I've spoken to a couple of your former teammates over the last couple of weeks and done uh, features on the uh, Athletic website. Um, today, it was Steve Walsh who named you as his ideal defensive partner, the best partner he had at centre-back for Leicester City. So, um, what was Walshy like to play with? Did he now? That's nice to know. Mm. Cheers, big Walshy. Um, <laughs> well, that, that is an accolade, really, because Walshy's played with dozens of partners, hasn't he, through the years. Uh, I mean, 14 years at Leicester City alone. So uh, there, there would have been a few gone through the ranks. But um, no, I, I, lo- I love my time with Walshy, you know, playing with him. And when I first joined the club, it was almost as if I'd been assigned to sort of take over Walshy's, not his mantle, but his position, really. Because I think Martin O'Neill thought, well, he, he's not getting any younger. He's had some horrendous injuries. Is he going to be able to cope for much longer? And most people's verdict was no. But um, I remember we went away. We went away to Spain quite early on in my time. I'm having a couple of drinks and while she was there, and I didn't really know him previously, and he came over and he said, Matty, can I have a word with you? And I thought, oh, oh here we go. He's like, <laughs> Mr. Leicester City, captain of the club, is he is he going to be a bit begrudging of the fact that I've come in and... He, you know, people think that maybe I'm going to take his place, and is he going to? Are we going to have a bit of a fractious conversation? But it, it couldn't be anything more different. He said, yeah, people, he came up to me, he said, mate, people think that you know I'm on my way out because you've come in." He said, "I'm telling you, I'm not." And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh here comes the challenge bit." And he went, "I'm going to make sure myself that I'm still fit and ready because I want to be playing alongside you because we've been training for a couple of weeks or so, and it." He liked what he saw in me, I suppose. And he, he said, that I think you're going to do what Leslie said, but I'm still going to be part of it. I'm going to play with you. And unbelievably, he did for another three years or so. You know, most of the time, Walsh shouldn't have been out on that field of play. But whether he lasted 45 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, sometimes 120 minutes, you know, in extra time games, he, he battled away. He gave his all. And 
he never let Leicester City down. He, he was an incredible character, inspirational character, really. Not in a shouting, balding manner, but just by you know, leading by example, leading by his commitment and desire to win the game and, and see it through and compete. And you know, he gave that, that feeling to players around him and led from the front. It was a pleasure to play alongside him. And um, I'm more than happy to get the nod from Walsh in terms of, yeah, best partner. We're still good mates to this day. Keep in touch pretty regularly. He does a bit of work at Leicester City, as, as do I. And uh, good to see that he's keeping well. But, um, yeah, what an experience. What a player he was to play alongside. And the other guy that I spoke to, and I spent over an hour on the phone to him as well, was uh, yeah, Casey Keller, who um, gave up a bit of his time from uh, Seattle to look back on his uh, his career with me in the Athletic, and that got a great response from uh, the readers as well. Uh, what was Casey like? Because he was very entertaining when I was chatting to him. Yeah, he's, he's a very studious, very intelligent man for a f- professional footballer, that's for sure. But he's, uh, yeah, no, he's a good character, Casey. Again, we talk about strong-willed and determined people like in Walshie. Casey was the same, you know, coming over from America, um, playing his trade at, was it Millwall he went to straight yeah, away? Yeah, Millwall, what an introduction to English football that is. <laughs> exactly, coming from America. I mean, I'm sure he didn't realise what he was getting into initially, did he? But uh, you have to learn the ropes pretty quickly. But, um, you know, I, I don't know how that transfer came about initially, but he's, uh, yeah, what an experience for him. What an eye-opener. And um, to deal with that shows the character of the man, really, and who went on, played in various leagues, didn't he? Uh, across Europe and uh, and back to his homeland. Didn't he? Uh, is, he, is he involved with the media now, Rob, is he? Yeah, he's doing a bit with Seattle Sounders now. He's like their match day pundit on their live oh, okay. So yeah, he's yeah, still, yeah. still doing a bit out there. Yeah, he's, he's a good lad, Casey. Didn't sort of fit the stereotypical professional footballer, but there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> you know, quite the opposite. And um, he, he was... Part of the melting pot that was Leicester City's you know, characters uh, at that time. You know, people from all walks of life. And uh, it, <laughs> Casey managed to blend in well and, and fit in with, with that that mixed all, all sorts bag um, that, that was Leicester City in that period of time. But on top of that, a very, very good goalkeeper as well. Yeah, absolutely. He was a pioneer for uh, for US uh, players as well, coming to Europe and playing, because he was the first uh, American to play in uh, La Liga as well. And then he went and played at Borussia Mönchengladbach and lived in a castle for a while as well. So, very colourful career. But one thing he said about his Leicester City days, he said he had great team spirit. And you all went out uh, together as a group. And he said, even though he wasn't a drinker, he always made sure he went along with you. And uh, when it got a little bit messy, though, he always used to duck out and disappear. (laughs) He didn't want to witness anything he really shouldn't witness. But uh, he seemed to enjoy his little spell with Leicester. Yeah, he he dropped his shoulder. And wisely so, because it did get out of hand a few times. But um, we we were encouraged to go out. I mean, that that, that spirit was created by Martin O'Neill, really. Yes, we had the players who who liked the social aspect and they say they were quite diverse characters, but we all blended together well. But if we were playing under a regime that restricted you socially and didn't allow you to, to go out and enjoy yourselves and um, when the time was right, then you know you wouldn't have done and you'd have felt slightly suppressed and that would in turn would affect uh, the spirit and personality of the group, really. 
And uh, you know, I think it was something intentional from Martin O'Neill. He developed that that side of things, that togetherness, that, that group mentality. Um, as was the case at most clubs, where, and you hear it from a multitude of players, whatever level you was playing at, whether it was Division 4 as it used to be, or Premier League, or even international football, if you developed that togetherness, that bond, that spirit um, off the pitch, it did you favours on the pitch, without a doubt, without a doubt. It brought you closer and it all meant a little bit more and you, you did that extra yard for each other and certainly over a period of time. And and, and then, you know, the, the most successful times in my career were always when the, the team I was playing with had the best spirit and, uh, you know, at that relative level. And that was no different at Leicester City. Casey was part of that. He was sensible enough and intelligent enough to to clear the decks when it really <laughs> did start uh, <laughs> getting a bit lively, as you say. Um, I wasn't always that intelligent. My, my excuse was I had to stay around, Gaffer, because uh, as long as possible, just to make sure everything was all right. <laughs> but I was <laughs> you always, were the last man standing. <laughs> yeah, I was the last man standing more often than not, or certainly one of them, uh, just to make sure everything was okay. Because if I went home, I didn't trust everyone else to behave themselves. That was my reasoning to the manager. And more often than not, he put up with that. <laughs> Matt, thank you very much for joining us this week on uh, 5,000 to 1. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks uh, where we might have another special guest um, sitting in as well to join us, Matt, as well. So um, thank you very much, guys, good. for listening in. And don't forget all the stories that we've mentioned are on the Athletic website, so you can read up on them now. Thank you. <laughs>